trust the movement I negate the chaos Uplift the negative I'll show up at the table again and again Welcome to Grassroot Ohio Conversations with everyday people Working on important issues Here in Columbus and all around Ohio I'm Carolyn Harding And today I'm talking with Ohio organic and regenerative farmers, Mick Luber and Emily Peck. Mick Luber is a founding member of OFA, Ohio Ecological Food and Farm Association, and has been operating the certified organic bluebird farm for 40 years, raising vegetables and fruit. They raise five acres of produce on their 61-acre farm in eastern Ohio, and their specialties are lettuces and garlic. They participate in farmers markets in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And in 2016, they also fought an oil and gas pipeline that was to run straight through their main production area and had the route changed off their property. Emily Peck operates Frayed Knot Farm, a small hand-scale farm located in Newberry Township of Gioga County, which is 30 miles from downtown Cleveland indigenous to the Erie and Mississauga nations. Frayed Knot Farm, the enterprise, focuses on cut flower production offered in a CSA-style subscription service throughout the summer season, as well as providing blooms and foliage for celebratory arrangements and workshops. Frayed Knot Farm has also been host to the Cleveland Flax Project, Frayed Knot Farm uses regenerative agricultural techniques that honor the land and its stewards and provides nourishment to the surrounding ecosystem. Welcome to Grassroot Ohio. It is a new year, 2021, and you are active members of Ohio's number one industry, agriculture. Everyone is thinking about resolutions, goals, making better choices in diet and lifestyle, and so here we are. Mick, you run a certified fruit and veggie organic farm, and Emily, you run a regenerative flower farm. One farm's been around for 40 years, one almost five years. One farmer has to go to the top of the hill for the internet, the other taps into it daily. But you both chose the road less traveled for your farm. Why organic and why regenerative agriculture? All right. Mick, let's start with you. You run an organic farm. Why did you go that route? Okay. I was living in Chicago teaching school, and uh, I used to go into a jewel tea store and buy fruits and vegetables, and the guy that was working in that store, hands were always split and cracked. And he told me that they thought it was unsightly to wear gloves and it was what was on the fruits and vegetables. And I always lived uh, from the garden at my parents' house. And I thought I was putting that inside myself. So me and a group of people formed a uh, co-op and started importing organic food from California. And then when I moved back to this area, I got involved with the co-op system and uh, thought organics was the best. So I've been growing and eating that stuff ever since. And how about you, Emily? Why did you choose to go with regenerative farming technique? Um, when I was younger and interested in like learning about where food came from, that's kind of how I started getting into farming. And um, I think similarly, just realizing all of the ways that commercial production 
um, is detrimental to our environment and to the people that are working there. When I decided to farm on my own and get closer to that so that I could actually have more control over what went into my body and what kind of flowers I have in my home, etc., um, I thought it was really important to practice that and be able to um, help improve our environment in the process. So it just felt like there's no other way, really. This is the way we're going to have to be in order to really repair um, our ecosystem. So people might not know what organic is and what regenerative is. Can you give us kind of in a nutshell what it is? Emily, I'll go with you first this time. Tell us what regenerative farming is. Um, well, regenerative farming is a term that I think uh, can be interpreted in a lot of different ways, and that's kind of why I like it. Um, no disrespect to organic, but I think organic is maybe part of a regenerative system, and it maybe some of those principles um, are part of it. But to me, um, it's it's mo one step above sustainability or the sustainability movement because it's really encompassing a um, a full circle um, full system approach, and it's more about the philosophy rather than the a strict implementation of different um, techniques. So for me, it means something different than it might mean to someone else, but it's still adopting very similarly those organic philosophy. Um, so specifically, it's about not using synthetic pesticides or fertilizers. Um, it's about, for me, not tilling um, the land um, and I, you know, I can follow up on any of these principles, but for me, it means um, just, like I said, helping to facilitate life on the farm and increase that over time and put more into it than I'm taking out. Okay. And there's no certification for regenerative farming? Uh, I think there are starting to come certifications for it, but I kind of... I don't think I would do something like that because again, I feel like it's more of a general philosophy and just about more about the, the why you're doing the farming versus the how. And although the, the how is important, um, it looks different for everybody. So I kind of move away from some of the subscriptive models or certifications because I, it just what works for one farm might not work for the other. So I don't, yeah, I don't want to put any shame out there of people that might be practicing a certain way. And it's more about why they're doing it. So if cool. that makes sense. It does. How about you, Mick? What did certified organic, what has it done for Bluebird Farm? I don't know. I've always been organic. Um, it's uh, not using uh, any synthetic fertilizers or pesticides, but it's more than that. It's a regenerative sort of keeping the soil alive. Why don't you tell us, it's January. We recorded this in December, but when it's airing, it's January 1st. And what does a typical day look like for you as a farmer right now? Mick, let's start with you. Well, I used to have uh, a herd of 100 chickens, but I got rid of my chickens two years ago when I was cutting down on the markets I was going to. So I have two dogs and a cat that get fed in the morning. And then I usually go play in the dirt someplace. I have two uh, tunnels so I can keep things growing year round. I never wanted to do that when I started, 
I needed the break in the fall uh, from everything. But I put one up uh, five or six years ago, and uh, is it's been going good. It's uh, an experiment. Yesterday, I planted uh, carrots and beets in a high tunnel. You plant them this time of year, and you harvest them in uh, two months. So you get carrots and beets early in the season. And uh, I've also experimented with where the beets and where the carrots are, planting the opposite a little bit later. So you will have beets and carrots for two months. Hmm. Awesome. So you're actually actively farming right now. Right. I have one tunnel has uh, arugula, spinach, a uh, couple new plantings of spinach, uh, chard, kale in it that will grow all winter as long as you take care of it. Awesome. How about you, Emily? What are you doing at your farm? Um, a, li- a little bit of um, both. I got a tunnel this year also, and I've been experimenting with some winter growing, but mostly what I'm doing is planning for this next year. So just deep into creating my crop plan and make, you know, building relationships with different partners for the year, um, assessing, you know, the year that we just had and kind of taking um, stock of everything. And yeah. Tell us a little bit about your products that you specialize in and why you chose those products and um, how you market them. Let's start with you, Emily. Um, Well, I mostly grow cup flowers. And what that means is it's flowers that are um, grown specifically to be cut um, for direct to customers, to florists, for weddings and events. So any flowers that you're used to seeing in a florist shop or uh, at a grocery store, those are considered cut flowers. So it's not they're they're grown very differently than you would a bedding plant or um, something in a home garden. They're specifically for long stems and things that can hold up in the vase longer. Um, but I still like to play around with that and do interesting varieties that you might not see in your typical florist shop. Um, so I mostly grow cut flowers, but I also grow herbs to help supplement that. Um, but also for, um, I do have an on-site farm stand that I like to supplement with a few herbs and vegetables as well. Nice. How about you, Mick? What, um, what influenced your choice of what you decided to grow? I grow a full spectrum of vegetables. I grow everything from... Uh, I do some cut flowers, I do lettuces, spinaches, greens, tomatoes, peppers, anything that you can grow, I try to grow it. And this time of year, the the seed catalogs are sitting on the couch and I'm going through it and picking out stuff uh, to grow this coming year. I've been cutting down on the amount of seeds and the amount of stuff I've been doing Uh, Because of COVID this year, I only went to one um, market and not very often. And I also supply a couple restaurants and uh, a co-op with some produce. That was what I was wondering. I mean, it's not farmer's market time. And but Columbus actually has winter farmer's markets. There's a couple of them. Are you selling your products to um, restaurants and co-ops, not farmer's markets right now? Well, there are some markets in Pittsburgh, but I'm not going there. There's a new store that opened in Wheeling. It's a uh, 
they take anything that is, is produced uh, in the area and pay a 90% of the value of it. And it's just opened this past year. It's uh, called the public market. And a group of people there are doing, uh, I guess, in the city production, they have a few tunnels and uh, all the people in the area are, are selling meat, vegetables through that. So sometimes there's drops there. And you, Emily, how about you? Um, as far as am I selling anything right now? Um, right now I'm selling my subscriptions. So it's basically a pre-order for the year. Um, as you mentioned, I do a CSA style. So some people might be familiar with that, but it's started by vegetable farmers to, you know, get the seasons best, but help farmers in the early um, winter when you need to pay for seeds, as Mick was saying, and plan for that, but you might not have income. So for me, that's the best way to get a jump start on the season. Um, and I've been able to, to do that throughout the winter. Um, I also did pr preserve quite a bit of flowers just by simply drying them. Um, and I've been selling those throughout the winter as well. This is Grassroot Ohio, and I'm Carolyn Harding, and today I'm talking with Emily Peck and Mick Luber. They are organic farmers and regenerative farmers. Well, one is one and one is the other, and I'm so happy to have them on our show today. I did look at your website. I, I think the flowers are just beautiful. I wish I could sign up for your CS, what did you say, CSA? Yeah, CSA. It stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Yeah. Mick, are you also involved in one of those? No. No, mostly farmer's markets during the summer, huh? Yeah, I like the interaction between customers and, uh, and it's fun playing at the markets. Yeah. Now tell me, we've had a, um, we're in the middle of COVID. So it's obviously impacted you. I could tell that you're not going, Mick, you're not going to as many farmer's markets. And Emily, is it impacting your business as well? Yes and no. I, I think at the beginning of the year, it definitely made me pivot. So you also mentioned that I do weddings and events. So um, people come to me and I act as the florist as well and arrange my flowers for weddings. So I had uh, a few weddings lined up for this year and those got, you know, delayed or canceled pretty early this year. So that definitely... Um, made me rethink a lot of things but luckily it was in time where i could add more subscriptions to my csa so i pivoted and luckily there was a really big demand because people were anxious to you know get out into the outdoors and experience that natural beauty that they uh really wanted flowers and i was able to sell out regardless of expanding my CSA program very rapidly. So it did affect me, but I'm really thankful that it was for the good and I was able to pivot because I had that diversified sales stream and I wasn't, and I was also able to uh, create contactless um, pickup at my farm and then also work with different retail partners um, in the city that acted as pickup and they weren't they were luckily be able to be open as well. Um, if they weren't, I probably would have had to move into kind of a delivery situation and that really would have hurt me. So I'm really thankful for them and 
um, been able to navigate all of this pretty well, but I know a lot of farmers, not the same, especially with markets and things like that. So anything you want to add to that, Mick? Well, when the markets first started this year, uh, because of the pandemic, a, a lot of it took some time for uh, things to get straightened out, the protocols and everything that people had to meet. But everybody I've talked to at the markets that I used to go to and the market I was going to, the demand at the markets increased almost double because people were looking for quality food, organic or not. And uh, they trusted more the local farmers than they did uh, going to the supermarket. Definitely. And, and to move on with that is, um, I know this last season, last summer, in the spring, there was a whole lot of rain and it did impact a lot of farmers, some negative ways. How has the climate shift or change impacted your crops and your farm? Let's start with you, Mick. Well, it's been really great because the, the global warming is making it so the seasons are longer, so you can keep things in the field a lot longer. Uh, the storms and stuff like that and the tear up, uh, from the changes in thing or the hard thing. But overall, we have at least two weeks before and two weeks after the frost that make it so you can keep things longer. And uh, markets that I was going to in Pittsburgh start Mother's Day and go through Thanksgiving. So it gives you enough time to make enough money to actually farm. Right, how about you, Emily? Um, yeah, I've definitely noticed um, some changes for sure. And I feel like every year it just gets more, um, what's the word? I, I want to say violent, but uh, erratic is probably a better word, erratic. So that it's just erratic and unpredictable. Um, and I think that made, that's made it hard for me. I'm in a bit of the snow bell and already in a a microclimate of itself. So as I said, I live in Cuyahoga, but I farm in Geauga. And even within those two, I'm only about 40 minutes away. And it can be six to 10 degrees colder on the farm than it is here. And we get all the snow. So um, that's already, I'm already positioned in kind of a, a weather averse spot. But in addition to that climate, what I believe is the cli yeah, climate changing and global, you know, warming has um, adversely affected it with especially with the rains last year, my soil is uh, not doesn't have very good drainage. So my flowers don't like to have wet feet when it rains a lot in the spring, or it also delays planting. Um, but that's also why I'm an advocate for regenerative farming, because that helps circumnavigate a lot of the um, adverse uh, things that that climate change does. For instance, like I said, not having to use heavy machinery, I'm able to plant by hand. Um, instead, I'm because I've built up the soil more, it does have better drainage. Uh, so I think there are techniques that we can use and be creative to um, still be able to grow, but it, it definitely, there's always added challenges. Definitely. For everyone. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. I, I would like to um, just mention OFA, which is the Ohio, Ohio Ecological Food and 
Farmers and Food Association. Um, Mick, are you still involved with this group? I know you helped found it, didn't you? Yeah, I've gone to all the uh, conferences over the 42 years of the organization. Wow. And uh, this will probably be the first one I missed because it's going to be virtual. Uh, I started a program and hired somebody to start up marketing again in OFA. At you, back 30 years ago or so, we had a marketing arm in OFA beside the conference and the farm tours and stuff like that. And we sort of let it go to the side. So I'm trying to get it started again so that uh, people can co coordinate marketing small farmers, large farmers to uh, not only farmers markets and things like that, but to uh, hospitals, schools and stuff like that. So I'm working on that. And it looks like their, their online conference is February 10 to 15. So folks that are interested in organic, the organic scene in Ohio can um, look up online OFA, O-E-F-F-A, and find out more information about that. Yeah, it's not just organic, though. I mean, they cover the bases for everybody. Yeah, I, I found them very interesting. I've been to a couple of them, but not definitely not 43 of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, Emily, I noticed you are involved with something called the Cleveland Flax Project. Can you tell folks what that is? For sure. Yeah. I also want to give a shout out to OFA too. I've went, gone to the conferences um, at least one year and it's been really valuable information and also just the networking that I've been able to do through it. Um, really appreciate that and connecting with other small farmers in, in this region. Um, and actually that segues into your question about the Cleveland Fax Project. Actually at the Two years ago, I helped present um, at the OFA conference about the project. Uh, but basically, it's a um, I partnered with um, Rust Belt Fiber Shed, which is a regional version of a larger organization called Fiber Shed that started in California. And they're interested in building a regional economy around local textiles and local fiber. So that can be anything from animal fiber to plant fiber. And we focused on uh, the plant fiber and there was a grant opportunity to be able to grow flax and uh, go through the process and which flax uh, makes linen. And so we wanted to kind of see if we could do that in this region, if it would actually grow well, and then maybe consider you know, and being able to get investors for the machinery to continue to process and then build a, a regional economy around growing linen in this in this area, um, because there are very few, there's really no linen producer in the United States. Um, and very few li uh, flax farmers, we've modeled off of a few that also got the grant, and that are working on building their own regional economies in California and um, Oregon. But other than that, there it's the industry has been all imported. So we, and it was all community-based to start. And we documented the process of uh, laying out compost, seeding, uh, harvesting the flax, and then processing it on a hand scale. So. Yeah, it was a really wonderful project. 
that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also very interested in the whole hemp, um, industrial hemp production. And they also make fiber from hemp. I definitely am going to do a show about hemp farmers in, uh, in Ohio and, and organic ones as well, if there are any yet. I don't yeah, know. I, there are some like conversations and growing interest in that. And luckily, the hemp and uh, flax production can be um, are very close closely related and the processing is very closely related. So the machinery that we would need to process flax into linen can also process hemp. So we definitely see opportunities with combining with people that are interested in that fiber as well. So I'm a knitter. So I, that whole thing interests me. I'm curious, how can we help farmers in Ohio shift to try organic and regenerative farmings? How can we get more of our farmers on a more sustainable path? I'd like your opinions. Who first? Mick, let's go with you. Um, How to get more farmers farming organically? Yeah. Uh, The farm tours that hopefully I've done over the years is one of the best methods so that people see somebody doing it and try it. Um, I've had uh, farm tours at my farm probably every year for 30 years for my customers and for OFA. And it's just amazing watching people who've come to tours, see them a couple years later, stealing the ideas from me. I'm a, an inspector for organics. So I've stole my share of ideas from people over the years from large farmers and actually brought it down to the scale of my farm. And it works really great. And OFA is one of the best sharing places there doesn't seem to be any political bent in it. It's just people that like to play in the dirt, share things. Awesome. How about you, Emily? Um, yeah, I would agree. Just like sharing, you know, what I'm doing is really important to me to encourage people to do the same, not necessarily exactly how I'm doing it, but just to get excited about it and show that there are alternative ways of doing things. I think, you know, other than that, like, government intervention in some of the larger farms who are subsidied. Um, I mean, they don't really have, you know, that if that's their chosen path, that they don't have much of a choice um, in what they're able to grow or the, um, the ways in which they're able to grow it. There's just the system really isn't set up for um, supporting regenerative or organic agriculture. So I think like mixing is just growing new farmers is the best way and that hopefully over time that will put pressure on some of those larger systems to see that really, you know, that's what we need is to convert those major operations and farmland over to regenerative so that we can combat uh, climate change and yeah. Hey, this is our, our time for today. Thank you so much for doing what you do. In my book, you guys are heroes. Organic regenerative farmers are heroes and you are providing products that we need and in a very healthy way. Thank you so much for joining us and um, we'll be doing more shows on organic farmers. So thanks again. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. In addition to our Friday 5 p.m. broadcast on WGRN.org, Grassroot Ohio will now air on Sundays at 2 p.m on WCRSFM.org, 92.7, 98.3 FM Columbus, and at 4 p.m. on WEJPLP, 
107.1 FM in Wheeling, Moundsville, West Virginia. You can also find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Grassroot Ohio, 94.1 FM, WGRN.org. We air Friday nights at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you can listen to all our previous shows archived on the top post of our Grassroot Ohio Facebook page. There's a time to listen and learn, a time to organize and strategize, and a time to stand up, fight back.